This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your host, Colby Garman and Clint Clifton. Hey, welcome to the Church Planning Podcast. Uh, this is Colby Garman, and I'm here with the inimitable Clint Clifton. I don't even know what that means, Colby. I would have to look it up on Google. You know, I just went for it and tried to use the word because I think it means unable to be imitated. Wow. And you pronounced it so good. Uh, yeah, I practice that kind of stuff in my head. <laughs> <laughs> You really are inimitable. I, I, you know, I've known you a long time and I know lots of people. You're not, you're not somebody who could be easily imitated. There's a lot, there's a lot to Clint Clifton. Uh, not a whole lot of people that are trying to imitate me though, which is, you know. Yeah, maybe that's okay. <laughs> they would have trouble. They would have trouble. Well, that's good. I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, well, I'm glad to be here with you today. We're in different locations, uh, but we get to talk about a great subject today. We're going we're gonna to talk to Brian Howard, who's the executive director of the Acts 29 Network. Which yeah, small little church planning network. Small little church planning network. If you're in my um, age bracket and you've been paying attention to evangelical church planting for any length of time, you at some point desired to be a part of Acts 29. And yeah, yeah. I mean, they definitely have been the cool kids, right? Are the cool kids? They have been the cool kids for a long time, and uh, yeah, they were. You know that that network served me so well, as, even as a person who's never part of it. Just the things they produced. Um, yeah. Just being, just the fact that they they put their conversations out there for other people to listen to. Um, yeah. So helpful to me as a young church planner. I remember every day as a church planner going to the resurgence um just in the same way that i'm sure right. people go to the church planning podcast right now i mean people were i was going to the resurgence every day and checking seeing, seeing what are they talking about today yeah it's it's no secret that the network's been through some ups and downs you know and some some large changes and things like that but i think one of the one of the great things about that is uh i feel like you know where x29 is right now you know it's they've emerged from a lot of those changes and shifts and ups and downs in a way that is really impressive and uh, has great focus and and especially over the last few years has developed a really power, glo powerful global focus uh, yeah. around the world. And I think that's one of the cool things that has developed more recently in Acts 29. Yeah. If you've not followed it, one thing to note about Acts 29 is that they went from I don't know, this feels like five years ago or whatever now, they went from uh, central centralized operations to a regional operation. So they basically yeah. became a network of networks. And um, so uh, there's a number of regional networks. I don't even know the number, but um, all, over the, all over the globe now, so. Yeah, and uh, Brian Howard has been serving as their executive director for the last year or so and we get into some conversation in the interview about what you know what they've been learning as they've sort of become more global and through the time of the pandemic what kind of its lays on the horizon uh, for the future of church planting but one of the things that, that i know that i find really fascinating that we talk about a little bit in the interview is um 
how, you know, X29 is maybe one of the more prominent church planning networks. Uh, but if I rewind back 15, 16 years ago to when Pillar was getting started, um, you know, you had some state convention stuff. You've, you had sort of maybe local associations and Baptist work, and there was maybe a little bit of the stuff, but the presence of so many church planning networks th that we have now, you know, it just didn't exist. And that's created more support, I think, for church planners in a lot of ways. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it has created more support. I like to think of it as an ecosystem, you know, just in a, in a normal uh, biological ecosystem, there are um, different uh, creatures that do different things and they contribute to uh, the whole in a, a specific way. And um, that's certainly the way it is in, in church planting in any given region or city, uh, even globally, you could think about it like this. I think there is an ecosystem and the things that Acts 29 does really well um, you know, the other networks aren't doing as good as them. And there are things that NAM uh, does really well that other, uh, other groups aren't doing well. And that changes over time. Sometimes, you know, yeah. the, those things swap back and forth. But the, if we view it less like competitors and more like allies all working to build one kingdom, which is obviously how we should do it, then all of a sudden as, um, as a, a NAM church planter, I don't look at Acts 29 with disdain. I look at them as an ally, as having something to contribute to the conversation. I don't look at ARC or, or um, SOMA or name any other church planning network as something yeah. to compete uh, in competition with, but as something to, uh, to learn from. And uh, man, I know, I just, I just think of the times that NAM was not strong in training and equipping. Acts 29 stood in that gap for me as a church planter. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get equipped like I would have if I'd have been an AM planter right now, but I did get some equipping from Acts 29, even though that wasn't my network. And I'm just super thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, they've, they've done a great job just taking their theological ideas and thinking about how to put those into practice and to um, be able to build a culture in churches that really lives out. A, a sort of lived theology. And I, and I think that's one of the strengths that Acts 29 really has shown. Uh, and I really look forward to how that continues to develop as they mature as a network, because really we all win as, uh, as those kind of resources get produced and we learn from one another. And, and so it is, it's, it's really exciting. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, just thinking about Acts 29 and NAM, the two, two very large, prominent networks. Those are what we are most involved in. Or, well, one we're involved in, the other one we're super familiar with because of the relationships we have with planters. There are, there are church planters that are part of both, yeah. uh, but that's becoming less and less normal. I would say more normally, those are primary networks and then there are secondary networks that, that planters are involved in because planters are starting to realize that, yeah, technically I could be involved in four, five, six networks, uh, but that's not practically very helpful because I'm going to spend so much of my time appeasing those networks and those partners that I'm not going to do a whole lot of work actually planting churches. Um, but one of the things I think about when I think about those two networks, I think about, you know, I just mentioned the difference in the training piece, but they also have difference in their acceptance standards. So for a long time, Acts 29 had a really high threshold. They yeah. had they had theological standards and an assessment that well, you were likely not to pass when you went through it. Right. They were kind of famous for not passing guys. Uh, and so, so you had, you had that, you had sort of the high standard, the upper echelons, they created this kind of um, really uh, 
it was admirable that to have gotten in, so to speak. Um, yet they weren't distributing any resources, really. Uh, they didn't have any money to give. They didn't have like a central fund and they're distributing out checks. NAM was doing that. NAM had lower standards too. So we had less assessment, lower standards. So as a result, NAM was planting a lot of churches and Acts 29 was planting a few powerful churches. And we were tempted to say, oh, that's good and that's bad. Right. But actually out of that, that wide scattered seed that NAM did, lots of great churches got planted, including the one I planted. I would have never passed the Acts 29 assessment at 23, 24 years old. Never in a million years. I mean, it's not even like maybe I would have, maybe I wouldn't have. I definitely would not have. <laughs> and uh, so the only way I was able to be supported as a planter is that right. I a broader network like that yeah yeah yeah. and so i think i think there's something to be said for just recognizing that there are different types of networks for different types of folks um and the sbc for example we do a way better job nam does a way better job planting among internationals um uh, than Acts 29 does. Absolutely. Now on international soil, Acts 29 is doing a better job, but in North America among international. So, I mean, well, you just, to be fair, NAM doesn't really have the uh, assignment to plan on international soil as like a scent network. IMB, you know, if we dug into that, that's a whole other uh, set of things going on that most even Southern Baptists don't even realize the extent of the work. So. Right. I just think the, the point is that they, you know, we are tempted to say this one's good, this one's bad, or pit them against each other, or see them as competitors. And I just think that's wholly unhelpful. It would be really good yeah. for us to view all of these networks, as long as they're preaching Jesus as, as really good things and us to want to see their prosperity. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, I feel like X29 is in a season of prospering, and I, I love seeing what's going on. And uh, it was fun to discover that Brian Howard had a connection to Okinawa and Oceanside and some and uh, background in the military and um, and uh, just being able to talk about the Victorian project a little bit. That was it was a fun connection. It's a great conversation. Uh, thank you. So we'll uh, look forward to kind of hearing from Brian now as we head into this interview. Yeah, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor just before the interview. Not every American Christian is on the same page about the need for new churches. So we've created a material to help pastors and church leaders talk to their congregations about church planting in a way that's compelling and convicting. We've created a resource called the Church Planting Primer. And the Church Planting Primer can be used as a small group curriculum or it can be used for um, your congregation as a whole, maybe on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, or it can be used in other smaller settings, uh, Sunday school classes, or, or even for your leadership team or your missions committee to go through. The Church Planting Primer is four sessions. It starts with the biblical rationale for church planting, it moves on to the need for new churches in North America, and then after that, we talk about how churches begin, what are the nuts and bolts of how churches begin in the New Testament and how they begin today. And the last session is about how everyday Christians can be involved in starting new churches. This material is absolutely free. It's video-based, downloadable online for your use. And you can find it all at newcityplanting.org. Well, I'm here today with Brian Howard. He's the executive director for Acts 29, an incredible church planting network. Uh, he's got a, a huge breadth of experience um, that I think we can learn from today. Uh, and it's just exciting to be able to talk about what's going on in Acts 29 and have the opportunity to have you uh, on the podcast. So welcome, Brian. 
Awesome. Great to be here. And uh, it's East Coast meets West Coast today in the United States. So I'm glad to uh, to talk about church planning today. Yeah. Thanks for uh, hitting up the early morning conversation there on the West Coast. Uh, maybe take a few minutes um, to introduce yourself to our listeners. I think I think our listeners are familiar with Acts 29, obviously, with the, all the uh, with the strength of that network and family of churches. And if anybody's paying attention to church planning, they know Acts 29. Um, you're fairly new in the role that you serve in now, and um, it'd be great to hear just a little bit about your background, introduce yourself um, so that people can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, so I went into pastoral ministry after, after college in my early 20s, and then around 30, planted a church in the Los Angeles area, and I planted with a local Baptist association. Uh, but was looking for a group of like-minded. There wasn't a lot of church planting enthusiasm, or may maybe there wasn't quite the same culture around church planting in the year 2000 as there later was, right? And so I was looking for like-minded folks who were planting churches and who else is doing this. And so I ended up connecting in the early days with some of the guys in the Acts 29 uh, network. We had, we had already planted. We were already a larger church by that point. But I was more looking to connect with others who wanted to plant churches. And so I didn't plant with Acts 29, right. but connected after we were already established and were already looking to plant churches. And so we joined as an existing church back in the early uh, 2000s, in the earlier days of Acts 29. And then we went on to uh, plant several other churches or assist in the planting of several other churches out of our church. So all that to say, my you know, my background over so 20 years later from that church plant, I still live in Southern California, married for 27 years, four kids, three of them uh, grown essentially, and one almost uh, out of the house, couple more years. And so I've spent my last 20 years um, being involved. So I pastored, obviously, for 20 years, and then I've spent my last uh, 10 or 15 years coaching church planters. I've done a lot of work in the business world as well. So I've coached quite a few executives and CEOs and worked in for the for-profit world and started some companies and worked in, in the pro sports world a little bit as well. And so, uh, but, but 14 months ago, Acts 29 asked me to step in uh, as the executive director and to kind of lead this uh, ship forward, so to speak. And so I work uh, with Matt Chandler, who probably your listeners all know who he is. I'll do a call with him in a couple of hours or so. I work with Matt Chandler and a, and a board and 52 employees in the United States and another probably 30 or 40 outside of the United States. We have somewhere around 700 churches in Acts 29 globally now. Okay. Uh, I think last, last I checked, just under 500 in the United States and about 200 outside of the United States. But Something probably interesting to know uh, is that uh, we expect the churches outside of the United States, the number to surpass the amount inside the United States in the next two or three years. Like in Brazil, for example, I think we have over 100 candidates that are in the X-29 pipeline right now, just planting churches wow. in Brazil. So all that to say, that's a little bit about me and a little bit about X-29 uh, in terms of where we are today. Uh, one thing that might be of uh, interest to our podcast listeners too, because we talk about military church planting a lot, being a, a part of a group of churches planting in military communities. You have military background a little bit and uh, maybe tell us about that and where that fit into your life. 
Yeah, so I was a confused 20-year-old, uh, confused about whether or not I was going to serve the Lord with my life. You know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, had my dad was a pastor in Tucson, Arizona. And uh, at 20 years old, I was a bit aimless. Uh, I'd done a year of college, but not sure what I wanted to do. So I walked into a recruiter's office and joined the Navy Reserves. I wasn't quite crazy enough to join the full-blown military. (laughs) So I joined the Navy Reserves, San Diego boot camp. Now, you know, I I became what in the Navy is called a corpsman, uh, which is a medical, you know, a person who does medical work in the Navy. And I did all of my training, which was about a year long or so. And then I went back to college, master's college in, in the Los Angeles area, went back to college and then Desert Storm started in 1990. Now, as along the way, I was a little bored on the Navy side. And so I found out about a program where you could basically not join the Marine Corps. So I don't tell people I was a Marine, but yeah, but but where I could I could embed with the Marines essentially as a as a paramedic. So you you're you embed with the Marine Corps unit. So that's what I did, second battalion, 23rd Marines, and then Desert Storm started. So I was a sophomore at master's college and 20 years old. And I got a call one day that said, you're going to desert storm. So this was, uh, you know, I, I flew from camp Pendleton in Oceanside, California, where I know there's a pillar church, uh, to Okinawa, where there's also a pillar church, I believe. And, um, spent my next, my next nine months or so with the Marine Corps battalion in Okinawa. So was injured during that period, during desert storm, disabled veteran today, have a love for folks in the military, um, you know, veterans still closely connected with a lot of work that happens in the military. Uh, super thankful for the work of some of the chaplains in the military and even the outpost that was in Okinawa when I was there. Yeah, well, that that's exciting and uh, and really fun to discover. And and we're thankful for the uh, the service that you've given to our country and. Um, the, the sort of ability to talk a little bit about the confluence of that and how it comes together with church planning. Um, right now, as you think about Acts 29, and, you know, if we're looking at what, what, is, what is the passion and the need of leadership right now in Acts 29, what do you guys care about most? What's, um, what's got you guys' attention? Well, the last what, 14 months or so has been a really odd 14 months for everybody in the world, I think. Not many people have been living normally for the last 14 months. So we've been in a pretty strange situation with, with like you guys have, with churches not being able to meet. And some of that, well, all of that depends on geography. In some places, churches were able to meet much sooner. And in some places like, you know, Center City, Seattle, churches didn't meet for 52 weeks, you know, or Philadelphia, places like that. Whereas in maybe smaller, more rural communities, churches were able to open. So I would say in the last 14 months, man, that, you know, we, we, we have tried to figure out what is church planting? Well, we, a lot of our church plants just trying to survive when you can't meet, because if you've got two or 300 people in your church, you might have more of a critical mass where you feel like, Hey, we're going to be all right. Even if we lose people and people move away. Uh, But if you're a church plant, you know, we had church plants getting ready to launch you know, in early March of 2020, like planning where we're getting ready for our opening Sunday and that sort of thing. We've got 40 people ready to go, you know, and then all of a sudden COVID shuts all that down. So first of all, you know, we, we were able to plant around 25 churches, even during COVID, which 
the fact that we saw any churches planted during COVID feels remarkable, but it's pretty amazing to see that churches were able to be planted during COVID. So here we are now, and maybe this isn't super specific to Acts 29, but where we are now is, you know, we're, 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 we're sort of emerging. It's kind of poking your head out of the, it's like the bombs have been going off and you're poking your head out of the ground, you know, wondering what is, what is, what do things look like now? Right. And so, you know, I, I was on the phone with a church team in Philadelphia yesterday, just navigating what does it look like for us to, people are leaving inner cities and they're going to places where they can, you know, where they can work remotely. And so right. I think what we're doing in Acts 29, the first thing we're doing is we're trying to figure out, okay, what is post COVID or if there is a post COVID, whatever that looks like, church right. planting look like? And it's not the same thing because, you know, there, there are places like Brazil and India where COVID is raging, even Michigan. Right. And then where I live in Southern California, COVID has really subsided and things are starting to feel more normal. You see people eating at restaurants and you see Disneyland and those theme parks are opening, which is yeah. indicative of larger crowds coming together. Larger churches are beginning to meet indoors again, that yeah. sort of thing. So I would say, uh, number one is what does post COVID look like, uh, you know, for church planning in general, maybe we can talk more about that. And then, yeah. you know, to just set a, set COVID aside for a second, I, you know, we're, we're very focused on international church planning growth at this point. We're, we're not ignoring church planning in the United States. We, we, we have somewhere around 500 churches, a little under that, I think in the U S but we, we do hope to see 600, 700 churches in the U S we're, we don't have these massive numerical goals. We want to plant healthy churches. And yeah. we know that when you plant churches, not all churches survive, right? But we want to continue to plant churches. I would say uh, both internationally and in the United States. Then I would say we really want to continue to plant churches in a variety of different, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the right word, sort of contexts, I guess. So yeah. we want to plant rural churches. So I, I don't know if, if if your listeners have done you know, I, I read the news and like, like most of you do. And so when I, when I read the news, I see people are leaving center cities oftentimes and they're moving to places where, Hey, we can work remotely. And, and so we think rural church planting is going to be a, we have a whole rural church planting initiative. We have a director of that. We have a whole team that focuses on, we've got, you know, towns of 3000, 6,000, 10,000 people all over the United States and then across the world. Right. Uh, where, you know, nobody's ever heard of. So we think rural church planning is going to be a, a, a big emphasis of ours. We also, you do, we are going to continue to plant churches in center cities. You know, uh, I I was just um, in a conversation with Jeremy Treat, who's a friend of mine, who's the pastor of Reality Los Angeles. He's about, lives about 60 miles from me or so. He was saying the other day, only 29% of Los Angeles now is white. So we've got 71% of Los Angeles is a whole mixture of different ethnic groups. And so we want Acts 29 and our church planning efforts to be reflecting the diversity that we're seeing in the United States in our cities. And so I would say that's a big emphasis of ours. I just had dinner with a, with a good friend, Matthew Spangler Davison, who's in Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, he, he, with Mez McConnell, lead our Church in Hard Places initiative. So we have 120 interns right now that are preparing to plant churches in difficult places, you know, in slums, in, in Brazil, in East Africa. So 
you know, those are the kinds of things, and I, I you probably can tell I could talk about this forever, but yeah. those are the kinds of things we're thinking about in terms of Acts 29 going forward and planting. Well, uh, that's an incredible scope of work to think about, because uh, honestly, when you think about networks, a lot of times you find networks that either do really well on inner city church planting or really well with international planting, or they are network folks like we are in our Praetorian Project family churches on military context or even some rural uh, networks. But as a, as a family of churches to be looking at that whole scope means that you are discovering uh, how different church planting is, uh, not only across the country, but across the globe. And maybe for a minute, you maybe you could tell us um, what church planters, sort of stateside, um, need to understand and know, or even learn from our international church planters. Uh, wow, that is a great question. Um, I think I'm not sure I have a, a fantastic answer to that. I would say we're in a listening posture right now. Yeah. So one of the things we're doing is we, and part of the reason maybe we're able to go after several of these things at the same time is because Acts 29 has grown to the size where, you know, when you think about early Acts 29, it kind of had this, um, this young urban reform sort of emphasis, yeah. but you know, we've got, we have people in Acts 29 preaching in 31 languages now. So there are a lot of people who have never worn a flannel shirt or gotten a tattoo right, that don't right. know about those early days of Acts 29 because yeah. they're planting churches in Portugal or in Malawi or in India. So here's what I would say. So in the United States, you've got, you know, a 20, 22 year history of Acts 29, but a lot of the folks outside of the United States know very little about that history even. Sure. And so they, yeah. They've recently affiliated with Acts 29, and we just brought on uh, one of our one of our United States pastors, Scott Scott Prentice, who lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and Scott's plant, Scott planted in his pastor to church, I think, for the the last decade or so. He's been focused on building partnerships with churches in the United States and outside of the United States. We finally added him to our team. He's and he continues to preach half time in his church, but yeah. our focus right now is to listen to and learn from our international church planning brothers, because I think there can be this mindset in the U S as we, you know, we know what we're doing we've got it figured out. And, right. and, you know, I mean, so many people in the U S have never even traveled overseas. I think my parents never even left the country until they were retired, you know? And so all that to say, we're listening and learning and building partnerships and realizing that those partnerships go both ways, not just United States over, where there might be funding, but but those partnerships are reciprocal. And so our our goal this year actually is to have, and we probably won't achieve it in 2021. It may be a 2022 goal, but we want to make substantial progress on making sure that every church in the U.S. has a partner church with a church outside of the United States and, and vice versa, you know, yeah. so that we're listening and learning. So that's not a great answer in terms of here's what we're learning. I think what we're learning is we need to listen and have reciprocal partnerships. Well, I mean, and that uh, word reciprocal is really important in that conversation. And I wonder, maybe maybe you could talk to us a little bit about uh, what are some things you do to try to promote kind of that reciprocity, or how do you how do you talk about it with church planners here in the U.S. overseas? Because it's not easy to do. 
because there's a lot of factors that play into that. We do, we've done a fair amount of international church planning as well. And even when our mindset was focused on that, it's not easy to build it. So what are some of the key things you're doing to build reciprocity? I think the first thing is um, we're trying to, before COVID at least, and hopefully this will be post COVID as well, when we were able to travel more, we're trying to get people outside of the United States and into context where people are. So bring, you know, bringing a church planter from rural Guatemala, uh, like Mitch Munoz, who's one of our planters in rural Guatemala, to the U.S., you know, to be in your megachurch, uh, that's, I'm not saying that's not helpful at all, but I'm saying it may be more helpful for you to actually go be in rural Guatemala and to not see yourself as the savior, but to see yourself as a learner. So yeah. we're trying to help our our U.S. pastors understand we've got to be listening and learning and getting out in context where people are. So, you know, the the place where we've really built robust partnerships early was with Europe. Okay, so Europe obviously is not third world for the most part, right. but is but is very post Christian in most of its contexts, right? And so, so when we can get U.S. pastors, I mean, our, our goal has been to take U.S. pastors to conferences and events that are out of our context to build relationships with people where they start listening. And then to say to them, look, partnership does not only mean money. Partnership is not one way. Partnership doesn't flow downhill. It may yeah. be that that God has blessed your church with more financial resources. And so fantastic. You know, I Perhaps you read, like I did, Craig, Craig, Blomberg, Craig Blomberg's book, Neither Poverty Nor Riches, a Denver Seminary professor yep. years ago, to try to understand sort of a biblical theology of money and possessions. And I read that book a couple of times. God's given many of us in the U.S., uh, you know, resources where we can really serve. That doesn't put us in a superior position. So we're trying to get people in context, teach them that. And then right now, Scott Prentice is working on articulating for all of our partner churches. Here's what partnership looks like, teaching them about that reciprocity so that we don't swoop in as Americans and say, here we are, the, uh, you know, the, the guys who have it all together. We've got all of our systems, yeah. you know, uh, because we're not looking to take American Christianity and export it to, you know, the, the slums of, 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 yeah. of East Africa somehow. We're, we're trying we're understanding actually, you know, I, I just was reading Rebecca McLaughlin's excellent book, Confronting Christianity. And oh, she talks yeah. in her first, yeah. yeah, she talks in her first chapter about how Christianity is growing across the globe. So man, we have got to be building reciprocal relationships and teaching our pastors and churches to do that. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's, we, we have a partnership with a, a pastor in Bali, Indonesia, and um, we've we've just learned so much in that partnership. And, and in many ways, we've tried to, to treat the relationship a, a lot like we would our relationship with any other pastor, um, where, you know, you assume, you know, if I'm hanging out with three or four other pastors and we can we can share strengths and weaknesses and pass those things together and talk to one another uh, like colleagues and uh, and really kind of build that sense of collegiality in the kingdom. And we find when we talk like that, sometimes that means we have to say, no, you actually seem to have this figured out, you know, and, and, uh, and so don't, don't change to try to meet some sort of expectation you think you have in us. And just to, to really try to emphasize the, the strengths that are often there that we need to learn from as well. So. You know, cause we have, we, and, and maybe this is a bit of an overstatement. I hope it's not, but we have one major thing to offer 
And it's oftentimes that we have funding that's been provided because of the yeah. wealth that we often have in, in our societies. But, but that's one thing. Yeah, it's pretty uh, minimal we have in the grand scope of the kingdom, to be honest. Exactly. We, have, we perhaps have more to learn uh, because I, I don't think anybody thinks that, that, that Christianity, I mean, again, I, I say this gently and carefully, hopefully, yeah. but say I don't think Christianity is not thriving in the United States right. as much as it is in other contexts. And so we have so much to learn. And again, that's what Rebecca McLaughlin talks about in the first chapter of her book. Um, so, man, we've got perhaps more to learn and, and listen than we have to give. Yeah. Well, let's turn our attention a little bit back to church planning in the U.S. right now. And, um, you know, kind of you referenced a little bit of that. Like, um, I think it's good to just say, I mean, in many ways, Christianity is not thriving. Churches are not flourishing. Statistically, that's true across the board in terms of even Christian influence and the culture and those sort of things. And maybe there's been a wayward kind of viewpoint of that over the last 50 years anyway. Um, but we, we do see certain trends, you know, in the culture, in church planting, in ministry that are up and coming that we need to be think, thinking about in terms of the future of the church and the future of church planting. You mentioned, you know, back in the early 2000s, there, there weren't a ton of church planters to hang out with. Uh, I remember when Pillar got started in 2005, it wasn't like there were lots of networks and resources and people to talk about with lots of experience. It felt like a desert and, a, and an island a, a little bit more. Um, we've seen that change for sure. But also with that, we've seen sort of like there was a burst of interest in church planting, people ready to do it. But now every network I talk to says the hardest thing to find is a church planter and to get new church planters ready. I'm sure that's one of the trends you guys are concerned about, thinking about. But also, like, what other trends in ministry in general uh, are going to influence church planting over the next ten years that you guys are thinking about that we need to be uh, need to be thinking about as well? That's a great question. Uh, you know, I here's the first thing I would say, and I I don't want to overstate this again, but I think it's true. We're not even exactly sure what church looks like post COVID, and yeah. it may not look like the same exact thing in every context. And, and I think I was just discussing this with my wife earlier today. You know, when you think about why we take our shoes off at the airport scanner uh, today, and, and if you're old enough, most of you probably are to remember not having to take your shoes off at the airport. To my best recollection, we take our shoes off because of the shoe bomber That's 15, right. 17 years ago. Think about the fact that that was one event that changed the culture of the airport. You used to be able to go to the gate at the airport, say goodbye to your loved ones, and then they'd walk on the plane. Right. And these days, you you know, you drop them off on the curb because they have to get through security. And you, you know, so you think about the fact that keep this car, COVID, keep your car kind of rolling because they don't exactly. Want you to stop. <laughs> so you don't get in trouble because you can't <laughs> exactly. stop. Exactly. So so when you think about the fact that we have had this COVID thing going for essentially 13 months now, 13 yeah. months. It started in, in mid-March, right? So of 2020. So for as we record this today, it's been going for 13 months. You think, and it's not over, and churches are not meeting completely normally. Are, you know, you don't see people yeah. crowded into concerts. They, they don't go to Broadway musicals. You know, pro sports are, people are sitting seats away. Uh, there are people that are afraid that don't want to go back to church, a worship gathering. So, uh, you know, how how does this change culture going forward? I just I think any any thinker is going to say we're just not sure yet. And so how does this change what 
church looks like. Now, look, this does not change the fundamental purpose of the church or right. the commands in scripture that we worship, that we gather, that we preach the word in season and out of season, that we that we live in community with, the, with each other, that we that we evangelize, that we share the gospel. Those things are all the same. So I'm not saying we don't continue to be the church, right. but the, the form that those things might take, um, we're not even sure what that looks like yet. Do we still have mega churches where 10,000 people sit in side by side? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I guess we'll see, you know? So yeah. these guys I've been working with in Philadelphia, you know, they're, they're, they're working through how many people have left the city and moved to the suburbs. And so what is our, they have three locations, City Light in Philadelphia. What is about perhaps 600 people total, but three live preachers, you know, but, but they've been meeting in three different places. What does that look like? A second thing I, I think is where do church plants meet when they, when they start? Because all of a sudden, you know, many of us have, have rented schools or community centers the shifting in politics, the shifting in, you know, we, we've had so many issues in the last 14 months or 13 months that have seemed right. to escalate in our culture. I, I see in so many places where, you know, when, when I launched, and maybe you did as your church did as well, Pillar Church, we, we launched in a public school that we rented, you know, and so more and more, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, are, where are church plants going to meet? So that's a big how available, issue. How available will those options be? you know, in the future. I mean, right now in COVID here in the state of Virginia and our county in particular, uh, school buildings aren't available to, to church plants. All of our church plants here in the county, we're scrambling to find places to meet. And, um, you know, uh, we you mentioned Southern California, Pillar Church of San Diego planted in September of last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can imagine all the challenges with that. And they started meeting in a park there south of Marine Corps Air Station, Miramar, and um, they're still meeting in a park. And they're in that park week after week. And by God's grace, they've grown little by little. And uh, but but, you know, they've got to find a future where they can meet indoors at some point. Right. And yeah. uh, and we're still not at the point where we know what the options are going to be that are available here in our own county going forward as we think about church planning and in places like Southern California and across the U.S. So that's a great point. So. Yeah. And then I would say, you know, so that that Colby takes me to this, you know, I would say. Um, we're going to need to innovate post-COVID. Now, when I, when I say innovate, I don't want to scare anyone to say that we need to be overly crafty or the gospel is the gospel, but... but It's so obvious I, to me that you hang out with Reformed church planners. Because uh, <laughs> exactly. you know, words like innovate, you know, they immediately start getting... People start to get nervous. They start to quote books like The Sufficiency of Scripture, books that I've, I've read and, and yeah, yeah. agree with. But all that to say... Well, you know, we just had we just had Jen Wilkins speak at our conference last year, and Jen Wilkins put it like this. She said, churches are going to need to reinvent rather than remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was thinking about it in the words innovate versus fight, you know, fight to get back to normal versus how do we continue to live out what the scripture? Look, that's right. Look, if, if you plant the church in Okinawa like you have it's probably not going to look the same as a church in Orange County, California, where I live. Now, look, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to live in community, but it's, you know, you plant the church on a military base or outside of a military base. Um, the, the functions in terms of what we're doing as the church are the same, uh, but, but the context is going to look a little different. And so post COVID, 
I, you know, the pastors that I work with, I have a coaching meeting with a whole large group of pastors here in an hour and a half this morning. And we're talking a lot about this. How are you going to continue to be the church, but do it when you can't, you're not sure where you're going to meet. And that takes me to this. Now, this is just a question more than an answer. Are things more smaller than larger going forward? And I don't know the answer to that, but, but I, I wonder, and I don't know that anybody does, but are we going to be so excited to crowd it into large places? And even those who are comfortable with that, they're going to be people that may not be comfortable with that for years. I don't see anybody saying right now, well, I see some people, but I see a lot of people not saying right now, let's get 28,000 people in a stadium and, or whatever. I I see people wanting to go to dinner with a close group of friends and wanting to meet with their small group and wanting to gather for worship. But, but I just wonder in the church planting world, it'll be interesting to see. And then that takes me to two more things. One would be, I, I at least wonder, does church revitalization, church planting in church replanting take center stage where we have, you know, I, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for three years. And I remember, I remember a family living in a church building, one family bought a church building where it that building could have held like 300 people in it, you know, worshiping on a Sunday, a family owned it and they were living in it as strange as that was, you know? So, uh, so I, I wonder, do we need to be revitalizing churches that have buildings replanting in churches? And I know that, you know, guys like Greg Gilbert, who you and I probably both know are, have, have written books on that. And then lastly, that takes me to, I just think we're going to be looking at more and more at, at rural church planning and church planning in all different kinds of contexts. So, you know, that's going forward. Those are the kinds of things, the questions we're asking, the kinds of things we're thinking about. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. I I think the, um, the diversity of those challenges are are really obvious, you know, like when you're talking about the replanting or revitalization, I think that's going to continue to be an area where there's a lot of development because there's multiple models for how churches can do that. And as we see churches that are dying, uh, that are going to have those facilities, um, I think there, there really is an opportunity, like an appropriate opportunity to, um, to partner with those churches, those dying congregations to leave a legacy of church planting um, with future organizations. If we can build good partnerships where where we think that way and we're out ahead of that, um, I think we're going to have great opportunities to uh, to plant churches. And um, I got, you know, as I think about that, one, one trend that I'd love to hear you talk to just uh, maybe as a, a final uh, part of our conversation uh, is you know, one of the things I admire about Acts 29 is a focus on diversity of context and diversity of ethnicity and the focus on church planting and diversity. Um, you know, we've been through a challenging political season. I don't think that's going to change. I don't, I don't anticipate over the next 10 years that, um, that the sort of turmoil we've experienced in the culture and at least just basic sort of upheaval and uh, and challenges that we're facing with that. How how have politics and how will politics continue to influence our ability to pursue the diversity of the kingdom of God in our church planting, like uh, sort of exercising that, exhibiting that, showing a sense of family across racial and ethnic boundaries, even national and international boundaries. Um, you know, what do we need to be thinking about for that? And how, how do you think politics will continue to influence that? Boy, that is a great question. Um, Obviously, you know, we, 
We're living in a political, a time of, of quite a bit of political turmoil. I'm 50 years old, so I've been alive for a while, but I, you know, it feels like in my life, now I'm, I've done enough study of history to know that the United States has had political turmoil before yeah. and division before. Sure. And so I, I don't want to act like we're, we're facing things that are unprecedented, unprecedented in the history of the world, but certainly for where we are right now, uh, this feels, you know, churches are tense. There are churches that are divided over politics and people that where we've even seen it around COVID. There are people that don't want to wear a mask. And so they feel like you can't make me wear a mask. And then there's other people that feel like, how come that person won't wear a mask? And there, you got people on all different sides of this. I know Kevin DeYoung just wrote a post on this on the Gospel Coalition not too long ago. And so I, you know, I, we are really wrestling through an action on how to navigate those, those issues. Now we're a network of churches of essentially autonomous local churches, not a denomination in that we, we don't, we're not a denomination in the sense that we don't have hierarchy over local churches, that sort of thing. Right. But we do obviously have commonality and offer guidance and those sorts of things. And so um, I, you know, here's what I would say around maybe moving away from politics around diversity. Um, we, we, have, we have a very diverse nation. You know, we have, we've had Im an immigrant culture for since the United States, you know, began yeah. in its modern form. Uh, right. And so we when when you look at the places where I live, I live in a very diverse uh, section of the world in California, you know, and so you look at the schools that our kids go to and the languages that are spoken and the foods that we eat, you know, and the, we've got a lot of diversity. And I think a great opportunity ahead of us is to continue to plant churches in various contexts across the U.S. You know, I uh, looking at. Um, you know, I, I, I listened to a podcast a couple of years ago, a whole four seasons of it that was talking about this, that essentially said, look, immigrants coming to the United States are not secular elitists the way that we see people on the news. And then Rebecca McLaughlin, again, in her book, I keep quoting her, but she, she even talks about the fact that immigrants coming to the U.S. are much more religious than yeah. the culture of the United States. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes the conversation politically in the United States, because I don't know what to do with the political conversation, because we've, I've got good friends who see these things in different ways, you know, and that sort of thing. But I do know that we've got to continue to plant churches in diverse contexts, and the United States is growing more diverse by the moment. You know, we, we just brought a guy on our team who's planting Acts 29 Espanol, you know, we're planting Spanish-speaking churches in Acts 29 in the United yeah. States. So yeah. that's probably the best I have as we wrestle through these. No, I think that's, I, I think, you know, what I hear you saying is 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 a bit of what I think would, would help us all is to, to be reminded we're not here to cater to a Christian culture in the U.S. as much as reach the diverse population that God has placed here. And when we do that, it produces the kind of love that uh, is willing to cross boundaries and to uh, uh, learn from one another. And it's it's a really great picture when you embrace the fact that we exist as churches for that mission. And the mission has uh, the mission has always been diverse. And the more we lean into that mission faithfully, I think we learn the things we need to uh, in our churches. And so I just appreciate y'all's leadership as Acts 29 in that area and the boldness that you guys have shown in that. And so uh, continue to look forward to learn from you guys. Um, well, this has been a great conversation. I really, uh, really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to continuing to see 
uh, what you guys are up to and uh, really, really thankful for the work of X29. Man, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled with the work that you guys are doing at planting churches uh, in military contexts, obviously uh, uh, close to my heart. So thanks for the work that you're doing as well. Yeah. All right. Have a great day. Well, hey there, podcast listener. Why don't you do me a favor? If you've got a really cool church planting story, maybe the church plant you're involved in, or maybe a church planting story that you know from somewhere else, why don't you just pull out your smartphone and record that story, yourself telling that story in 30 seconds or less, and shoot it off to us at info at newcityplanting.org. If we like that story and we think it'll be edifying for other listeners, we will put that on the podcast. So just send it over to us at info at newcityplanting.org. Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's episode of the Church Planting Podcast is sponsored by New City Network, the church planting ministry of McLean Bible. A special thanks to today's guest, Josh Taransky produced today's show. Nick Bashane was our editor. Thanks to Hudson Taransky who provided administrative and web support for the program. And last but not least, thanks to you for listening all the way through to the very end of the Church Planting Podcast. If you'd like more information about our show, feel free to visit our website at www.churchplantingpodcast.org. There you can find all of our past episodes, as well as notes and links from today's show. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so be sure to check us out on the social. And tune in next week for another episode of the Church Planting Podcast.